pretty smart ladies. Because people have opinions. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. Well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? Everybody, get down. Get down on the ground. Get on your knees, because we need to be small. We're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water. Leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Um, Everyone, Michelle used her mom voice. <laughs> I mean, and I, I don't want to compare my kid to dogs. It might be squirrel murderers, but we still like ice cream. <laughs> when will my friend die? When will my friend die? Hmm. This one's a challenge. My, both of my eyes are twitching. Hello, and welcome to Angreement with Michelle and Catherine, where each week we share three things with one another, a weird thing, a pop culture thing, and a research thing, and then we try to make it all fit together. So hi, Michelle. Hi, Catherine. Okay, so we're going to share all all of our things. But before we do that, a few weeks ago, you had mentioned that you have gotten into Doctor Who. And so I hear you have a Doctor Who update. I do. I have a Doctor Who update. And in the nature of tying things together, this particular Doctor Who update is also a callback to episode one of our podcast. Because I just watched the, um, I'm on the Eccleston Doctor season. The Actually, I'm not Doctor of yes. the reboots. Yes, yes. I'm Let not anymore down. because I just finished. So he just turned into the David Tennant Doctor, right? Um, so that's where I am. That's the that's the update. But um, it was the Bad Wolf episode, which is the the conclusion. The well, it's actually it's a two parter, so it's the first part of the conclusion. But in that episode, it's all these game shows that are actually killing the contestants. Which, if you remember, yes. in episode one of our podcast, I was talking about those, like, the contrived, which our listener, Andrew, uh, gave us fishbowl horror, which I love. So I love it. Thank you, Andrew. The Bad Wolf episode is an example of, like, multiple kinds of fishbowl horror because you get, like, a weakest link where they actually get disintegrated when they voted the weakest link and a big brother where when they get kicked out of the house then the other people in the house have to watch them get disintegrated in the house and there's some kind of makeover show where at the end they actually cut your face off um and so and apparently there's all kinds of these happening and the reason that it's happening sorry spoiler alerts for anybody who hasn't seen I mean, I guess I hadn't seen it, so but it also would not have had any meaning to me if you had tried to spoil it for me. So I, don't I think know. that's spoilers for Doctor Who. You should still watch it, and it doesn't hurt it too much. Yeah, this Except is not one spoiler. There is okay. one spoiler. I cannot wait until you get to it. <gasps> I think there's only one spoiler in all of the new Doctor Who reboots that would actually spoil anything. This will not spoil this anything. I, I really don't believe this spoils anything. But so they're trying to figure out why this is happening. Like, why has this entire world turned into just game shows that kill people? Because the people don't have any say over whether they get put in the game show. They just appear there. They get uh, teleported into it and then they have to play for their lives. So it's, it's very much like the fishbowl horror movies we were talking about. But the reason is, is because 
something had happened in a previous episode in the season where the doctor had stopped an evil conglomerate that had controlled all of the news media, but in doing so had shut down all of the actual information so that all people were left with was this sense of like competition and entertainment intertwined. And so when we were trying to figure out why fishbowl horror seemed to be having a moment, I wondered if there was like some connection between the sense of we've kind of stopped information from coming in. Though, I mean, I think we have lots of information, but maybe when you have so much it's almost the same as not having any at all because you can't yes, process it. Because I, I said people aren't questioning you. You're like, they're questioning more than ever. And there's not less information, there's more, but maybe that creates overload where we just stop processing it. And instead play the weakest link with lasers. Yeah, which has just been revived. There's a new weakest oh, link. So on brand, so on topic. So that is my Doctor Who update. There you have it. And you've gotten to the end of the first rebooted Doctor. I have. What did you think to... of him? Might he be your favorite Doctor? I, I I liked him plenty, but I just from what I have heard of Doctor Who, I kind of doubt he will be my favorite Doctor. I don't think he's many people's favorites, but he's very good. I mean, he only got a season, so it's a little unfair to like, I mean... Because this next doctor is there for like five seasons. So yeah. that's that's a lot to contend with. Was Billy Piper a companion on the first season? Is that's um Rose? Yes. Yes. She's yes. excellent. She's yes. a great I like companion. her a lot. Love her. Well, that's I'm excited for more updates. I'm re-watching it through your eyes now. Well, through your voice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Weird things. Weird thing. I am very excited about this. We don't disclose beforehand what our things are, but you did text me and you I said, did. I'm so excited <clears throat> about what I have. My research thing is so weird. It might be my weird thing. It, did, it, it is my weird everything. thing. Oh, you, so you uh, yes, it, it became my weird thing. Yes. So weird. It's your weird thing. It is. It is. Awesome. Are you ready for this? Let me compose myself <laughs> for weirdness. Ready. Okay. So I try to base my weird things out of some sort of actual experience. Lately, they've been based on things that annoy me. And this one <laughs> is too. <laughs> Good. Because I really love that as a theme. <laughs> that nothing is weird anymore. So it's just things that upset you. <laughs> so the thing that is upsetting me right now is that this is my favorite time of year. And I love being outside. Except that depending on how the wind is blowing... Walking out of my front door is horrid because it smells like vomit. And what? the reason <laughs> what? we oh. haven't even gotten to the weird part yet. The reason what? That's not the weird part. No, no, that's not even close to the weird part. The reason it smells like vomit is because there is a whole row of ginkgo trees planted across the street from my house, oh. and. Ginkgo trees, which are beautiful, and they make these bright yellow leaves as they turn in the fall, and they're tall, and they're pretty, drop these, what we call them ginkgo dots. I'm sure there's some better name for them, but drop these, uh, I found out that they're not technically berries, as I'm, I found it out as I was researching it for this, Um, but like they're seeds, and they smell horrid. Right. And so the thing that I was going to go make my research thing was like, well, why are there so many ginkgo trees? That's what I wanted to find out. And so I went and I looked and I found an article about why 
in urban areas, there are so many ginkgo trees. And it is because ginkgo trees are 200 million years old as a species and have been virtually unchanged through that entire time. So they are very, very old. They are very, very good at surviving. Ginkgo trees have survived nuclear blasts. They have survived people dumping cleaning products directly into the soil where they are that kill everything else around them, but the ginkgo tree continues to grow. <laughs> Pests and urban smog. So Ooh. a lot of trees, if you plant them in an urban area, they only have a lifespan of about 10 years. Whereas if you had planted them in like a, a rural area, they would have lived for 50 to 100 years. And ginkgo trees can easily live for 100, 150 years. And so they're just more economical to plant in urban areas because they stay alive, whereas other trees would die off. But they smell so bad when they drop these ginkgo dots that people have been complaining about them. So in some cities, they hire people to go and pick all of the ginkgo dots off of the tree before they fall so that they won't stink. And that's really... that has its own costs in a lot of cities, including my fine city of St. Louis, where we can't even manage to fill in potholes. We're not hiring people. You don't have ginkgo dot collectors on on call. No. Um, So some cities were spraying them with like an herbicide that kept them from sprouting, but then that wasn't working very well either. And so they decided to plant only male ginkgo trees because only the females produce the ginkgo dots. Hmm. But, and this is my weird thing, ginkgo <laughs> trees can spontaneously- Wait, we're only just now getting to Only it. just now getting it's to the weird wild. thing. wild, okay. They, they can spontaneously change <gasps> their sex when there is an imbalance. So they planted all male ginkgo trees and had like 20 years of- stink-free experience and then suddenly they were like where's the smell coming from and they went to investigate and the male ginkgo trees had turned into female ginkgo trees and produced vomit smelling ginkgo dots nature finds a way this is a jurassic park moment in st louis well speaking of jurassic park scientists theorize that the reason the ginkgo dots smell so bad in the first place is because it attracted dinosaurs to eat them and then poop them out and make new ginkgo trees everywhere. So they smell good, apparently, to dinosaurs, but not to Oh my gosh, that's so amazing that you get to smell a smell that dinosaurs love. And there's something wrong with the dinosaurs because it smells like vomit. But they love it. Dinosaurs love eating vomit. (laughs) That's so weird. So what we really need is to bring some dinosaurs back and hire them to like, we just hire like a dinosaur herder. You know, like they have those um, goats that you can hire to like come in and and eat all of your weeds instead of hiring people. So we just need to bring dinosaurs back from the dead to have them eat all of our ginkgo dots so that it doesn't stink. Done. Easy. They just eat them. What's like the closest relative we know to dinosaurs right now? Birds? Just birds? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, they're, if the birds are supposed to be eating the ginkgo dots, they're not doing a very good job here. I can I mean, say that. We have much. CRISPR now. We have the technology. We need, I mean, I feel like there's grant money here for you, Michelle. <laughs> I think you need to like write a, a, a national endowment for the sciences grant and just go to town. <laughs> I love this. Please, please be the old guy from Jurassic Park for me. I don't see what could go wrong, right? I've only watched the first 20 minutes of that movie, so this is a a good plan. Absolutely. (laughs) It'll be fine. The kids will love it. 
Love it. Oh my gosh. And then the inevitable things, like what else do we do with goats? We have goat yoga. So you could have dinosaur yoga, but instead of the dinosaurs climbing on you, like the goats climb on you, you, you do yoga dinosaurs. on the dinosaurs. You have to have good balance for that. It's great. Okay. I love them. Oh, man. I I need to smell them. Be happy. No, you don't. Michelle's like, no. No, you no, don't. We're missing out. Okay. It's so bad. My weird thing also has to do with nature, but not nature smelling like vomit. Um, so over the weekend, my husband and I went camping and we went camping at Spillway State Park, which is in Colorado. And nothing weird about that. It was amazingly gorgeous. We're really, really lucky. Colorado is full of great, really cheap camping spots. There was no one else at this whole park. Um, it was right by a babbling brook. Oh my goodness. Great sleep. It was great. Like you could hear it the whole night, just this brook babbling. It was a dream. I realized that my husband has never before been camping before this summer. And I grew up camping. We've been camping as children together. We have. And I, my weird thing, it's not super weird, but it's just funny to me. And I I find it very amusing is to discover camping through my husband's eyes. He's almost 40 years old and he's never been camping before in his life. And so, and I didn't realize this. I'm like, let's go camping. He's like, great. And so we're driving to go camping for the very first time. And he's stressing. He's like, well, how are we going to organize our day? I'm like, what do you mean? Like where we're going to go We're just going to hang out. He's like, no, no, no. But if we set up our tent and then we want to go to like the sand dunes or go look at something, it's going to take a lot of time to take the tent down again. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? He's like, we can't just leave the tent up, right? Someone will steal it and we can't leave anything. So he, he just, I guess I didn't realize because I've been camping so much that there is just a nice code of conduct, right? That you put up tents, which are fairly expensive and you set up your campsite and no one's going to steal it. But he just, it amazed him. And the whole time he was like, are you sure? Are you sure no one's going to steal our tent? No one's going to take it away. And then this time camping again, we drove up to the state park. We already had a reservation, but there was just a drop box. It's like, if you don't have a reservation, just put some money in this box. Blew his mind. Just, just the, the, you know, the honor system that is the camping world. And I never realized that before, but it was just, it was really nice. But to see camping through his eyes made me very happy but I guess there is a weirdness to it that it's just a place in the world where you can have all this stuff and no one messes with it. It's nice. And not to make such a happy moment sad, but I, as you were talking about, I was like, how would I feel if I came back and somebody had stolen my tent? Cause it would feel like the deepest of violations, right? Like, like no, that you don't do that. Cause you're right. There is just this kind of code of, we are kind to one another or at least leave each other alone. Right. There's a very like individualist ethos to it. Like, yeah, you, you don't mess with my stuff. I don't mess with your stuff. Yeah. You're in close proximity with other people and you just pretend they're not there. Yeah. Which is honestly my way of 
being in public anyway. I probably, so. <laughs> exactly. I'm I, I you can't see me. I can't see you. Go blinders. <laughs> I guess it's like things like with um getting luggage at an airport that really you could just walk away with all that luggage, but no one does. That's nice. But I agree with you. It would be the deepest. Like I feel kind of queasy thinking about it. That would be the deepest violation. If someone broke into my house, that would feel terrible, but I don't think it would. But you're like, yeah, those things happen, right? But you don't steal someone's tent. That's not a thing that happens. That'd be unimaginable. So yeah, that was just, it's a delightful thing. More than weird, but it just, it made me laugh and laugh when he just is In 2020, delight is weird. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Actually being delighted at something and having any faith in the world and your fellow man. How weird. (laughs) It's. So it's really nice to find that moment of weirdness. <laughs> okay. Um, and he's a great camper. Although I also did find this week that um, we fell into weird gender roles that we never, we're really good about that, about like not falling on gender lines with how we break up household work. But we have a fire pit in our backyard and he always lights the fires. And I have been a little suspicious about how they don't last long and there's a lot of mess and we got to the campsite and he's like, I don't know how to light a fire. And it was something about being in that real world situation where we couldn't run back inside to the house that he's like, I don't know how to do this. You have to do it. I'm like, oh yeah, cool. I can do it. And so now I'm very proud that I get to be the fire starter of the family. Um, and the best fire starter is toilet paper rolls with lint shoved into them. Have you done that? I had not done it, but I was given advice about it because um, I we recently got a fire pit and I am the fire lighter in our house because my husband is not an outdoorsy person at all. And he also had never been camping until we went on a float trip in college together, which is not quite the same, but he, he had no childhood camping experience and is not outdoorsy at all. Um, and so, but... I found that when I was, it was my responsibility to light the fire. I found myself getting a little resentful of having to keep something else alive, which made me reflect on like how tired I am of being a parent trapped in my house with these children with months on end. And I'm like, I don't want to keep another thing alive. Fire, like, feed yourself. Oh, that's a level. That's a mood when a fire is too much. Do you have any plants in your house, Michelle Rico? I do not, because that is, I, I am That's done. I am maxed out. <laughs> I would light those plants on fire if I had them, but that's too much. <laughs> no, but it's a great, so if you do have to, it's also because I'm, if you're resentful of fire or, or keeping things alive, um, I am resentful of toilet paper rolls so much my favorite. Oh, I, I know this. Okay, yes. Oh, I've told you this so many times. <laughs> you oh, have every God. right. You have every right. They should never have done this to you. Go ahead. Tell, Thank tell you. the listeners. Thanks for listening again um, to this. I've told so many people this. The New York Times wrote an article on it and I felt very seen. But my favorite brand of toilet paper was like Scott's rollless toilet paper. No rolls, which is wonderful. You get to the end of your toilet paper and you just don't do anything. It's so great. You don't have the problem of having to take the roll to your recycling um, or just dealing with it, extra waste. And I read this article and like, it's not a lot of extra waste. And actually the process of how they make rollless toilet paper was more wasteful. But 
Anyway, they don't make it anymore. And now I have all these freaking toilet paper rolls I have to do something with, but I can light them on fire. And that makes me very happy. But fill them with lint and it's great. It's really, really effective. Fun. Okay. <laughs> so um, also Scott's bring back your roll of toilet paper. I bought so much of it pre-COVID because I knew it was running out and I stocked up like two months before. But now you're back to rolls. Back to rolls. So that brings us to pop culture. Pop culture. My pop culture thing is pretty short and I'm sure that most people are familiar with it by now. I had just seen it for the first time yesterday. I was a little behind because I've been swamped with work this week. But it's the, uh, uh, hold on, let me, what, is, what is his screen name? 420 dog face 208's TikTok video. Do you, do you know this? No. Okay. I do so, love TikTok, so. So uh, this, you probably will, it'll probably sound familiar when I start talking more about it. So it is a man named Nathan, I hope I'm saying his last name right, Apodaca, who um, he broke down in his truck to his job at a potato warehouse. And he decided as he was um, waiting, he said, I was just sitting there and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to sit here and wait for nobody to pull some junker, jumper cables. I'm gonna not going to flag anyone down. So I grabbed my juice, grabbed my longboard, started headed to work. So, and he took a TikTok video of himself drinking his juice and listening to Fleetwood Mac's dreams, right? Um, you've probably seen this video. I'm it is- now recalling. I didn't know the name, but yes. So yes, so this the this delightful video of this man riding his longboard, drinking from his entire bottle of ocean spray cranberry juice, uh, lip syncing along to dreams. And I totally understand why it went viral, especially in this particular cultural moment. But the the pop culture thing that I want to talk about it is is um so apparently it sent dreams skyrocketing as a download as a hit, <clears throat> and it you know, it made Fleetwood Mac money. And so, um, Stevie Nicks, that that it actually influenced the charts. They doubled, doubled what they normally were doing. And so, um, Stevie Nicks made like a, a video referencing it. And, um, what's Fleetwood? Mr. Fleetwood, Mr. Fleetwood. He has a first name. I'm sure I can't remember. Mick, Mick Fleetwood. like spoke out about it and I think actually talked to the guy and was like thank you this is so cool but as I was talking to my uh, very cynical husband he's like they gotta give him some of that money <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> so then Ooh, I- <laughs> let's bury your husband I like, I like that I like that so I went to look up and see like did he get anything out of all of this <clears throat> and I can't find that Fleetwood Mac gave him anything maybe they did I don't want to say they didn't but I did not find anything that said they did but Ocean Spray bought him a new truck filled with cranberry juice. <laughs> and it just struck me as, I, I mean, it's, it is delightful and fun, but it, we're also it's just such a weird, like advertising is so weird right now. That is now. late stage capitalism <laughs> at its most delightful, which it rarely is, but. But still just a strange, strange world. And I, you know, I think I've, said multiple times every time we get to a pop culture segment that I ghostwrite for celebrity gossip. So I have had to write about like some TikTok stars. I don't even, I don't have TikTok. I've only ever seen the videos on online, like when they've been shared elsewhere, like 
I am not a TikTok user. I feel like I missed the window by at least 10 years. And um, it's delightful. Maybe I'll, I don't know. It's not worth worth the time. I don't know if I have room for another stream of information into my brain. It'll just send me into the fishbowl horror. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It'll just disintegrate. (laughs) So I, I think the thing like if I had to sum up like what is my pop culture thing, it's just this weird line between people who are trying to be influencers and people who are accidental influencers and how brands like are trying to walk the line between them and, and they want people who are trying to be influencers to be accidental influencers. And then accidental influencers sometimes become like, people who are trying to be influenced. Like there's just this weird crisscross back and forth between those two groups of people with these brands in the middle, like trying to like maintain your authenticity, but here's some money because we want you to maintain it only for us. Right. And so there's this just, it's just a strange thing. I don't know what more to say about it than that, but that is my pop culture thing. No, it's something that, yeah. Cause I think I did hear about this, that Stevie Nicks didn't have a TikTok and made a TikTok to respond to yes. it. Yes. That's so interesting. And that, yeah. That you could just be an everyday person with your truck breaking down and suddenly you're influencing what Stevie Nicks does in her spare time. Like, it's just a strange, it's a strange place to be. Have you to thank in a way for my pop culture thing. Um, I'm trying to find, okay, there it is. So we have played, we've started on and off some game nights over Zoom with some success. We've had some issues with the platforms, but we play like Jack, you don't know Jack and other things from that. And we've played Quiplash. So, you know, the game Quiplash, which is if you had to summarize Quiplash, you, everyone makes up definitions of a word and you have to vote on what's correct yeah, yeah, or like you, it's not always a definition, but you're filling in some kind of blank, blank but yeah. you're not trying to get the right answer, you're trying to get the like quippiest answer, right? Like the yes. the one that generates the most chuckles or that seems the wittiest. I always confuse it with balderdash, and that's definitions. Quiplash is like get an amusing answer. Yeah, it's a really fun game, I enjoy it, but I've been really interested in during you know, the pandemic and people not being able to go out for entertainment, what sort of entertainment is filling that void? And there's been a variety of things. So do you know the platform Twitch? I know that it exists, which is the extent of it. It's a platform that was initially kind of made so people could live stream themselves playing video games. And now it's used for a lot of other things. Um, I use it sometimes to stream movies, to watch with friends. It's really good for that. Um, my brother, right at, around April or May, uh, live streamed himself playing all of the Gabriel Knight games, which was very fun to watch. I even made t-shirts about it. I liked it so much. Anyway, um, I just found like three weeks ago, there's a comedian Oh, I'm forgetting her name. She's one of the stars of um, Black Lady Sketch Show. But she, on her Instagram, said, hey, I'm doing this thing. And it's called Comedians Playing Quiplash. 
And every Friday on Twitch, on um, what is it called? It's called Hold the Phone. It's it's the Fun Time Boys Game Night Spectacular on Hold the Phone, which if you have Twitch, it's a free platform. You just go to Hold the Phone. And every Friday, they have a group of comedians play Quiplash. And it's really surprisingly fun. I've started watching it every Friday with my husband. And it really depends on the comedians playing. It's kind of hit or miss on how funny it is. But the first night we watched it, just could not stop laughing. It was the funniest thing. And I was really shocked to watch other people play Quiplash. It was so fun. So what what level of comedian celebrity are, are these A-list comedians? Are these like where where are we at on the I would say I would say podcast famous okay. celebrities, okay. like comedians. Um yeah, I would say it's B to C list. Okay. I, um yeah, the one like I cannot now, I for the life of me cannot remember um the name of it. Oh, Nicole Thurman is the comedian that I was following. And um so if you know, do you know the podcast Comedy Bang Bang? Yes. There's a lot of people that have been on, like a lot of regulars okay. of Comedy Bang Bang are on this a lot. So that so, level. So of, like high quality comedians, just maybe not like celebrity. Hollywood level. Like, exactly. Yeah. Okay. You're not going to have seen them on television, but if you, if you know the comedy world or like comedy podcasting world, they're going to be familiar. But it's, it's not very exciting. But it's just a hot tip because it's free. A lot of times there's charities that they're representing and that they suggest that you donate to and encourage that. But it's a good, it's just a good Friday night thing. If you need something to do and you're tired of everything else, it felt like a fun event. And it's something we look forward to now on Fridays in the midst of what else? Is there to look forward to? Sounds very pleasant. I mean, other than that, we just ordered a cake tasting flight. Ooh, I've been like, thinking about doing that. We have a bakery near us that is really good and they have a cake, but you always had to, like, every time I look at it, they're like, you need to do it 48 hours in advance. I'm like, I'm not randomly ordering cake with 48 hours in advance thought behind it. I want some cake now. <laughs> oh, 48 hours, Michelle. We had to do ours six weeks in advance. <laughs> we both forgot. What kind of, you just randomly like, there's just cake. No, it comes Monday and we had forgot. And now we're remembering and we're so excited. Maybe I should just assume that me from 48 hours from now Ooh. is going to want some cake too. You'll always want cake. It's a nice gift to yourself for later. Anyway, so we're getting the cake and we're going to watch comedians play Quiplash. And I just think the Lovely. whole it's surprisingly funny. I had to talk my husband into watching it. And then, oh, we just laughed and laughed. It's so good. That's all I have to say. So it's hold the phone um, on Twitch. And it, it does depend on who's playing. It has levels of how good it is. But it's really, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Last but not least, researchy thing. So I have to give some backstory for my researchy thing, but it will eventually get researchy and not just ranty. 
Because because you had to use your research thing for your weird thing. Right, right. So I had to find a new research thing. So um, I think that you knew that I was reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Yes, I saw by, Facebook by Mark Manson. So, um, and just to fill the listeners in, um, when I, I got laid off from my full-time um, professorship about like almost three years ago now, and I was desperately taking on whatever work I could when I, I, my, I felt like my whole world was falling apart. And for a while, I got plugged into helping ghostwrite and de- do like developmental editing work for a bunch of self-help stuff. So I've read a whole lot of self-help books because I was doing work in that genre for a while. Um, and I, I kind of like the genre. Like I rarely find them useful in the way that I think they were intended to be, but I still find them like, I mean, it's, it's almost like little worry stones that I get to pick up and like just think on for a while. And they end up like getting me to new revelations, right? Like, so I, I enjoy. So is it almost like a, a meditation thing for you? It just allows you to clear your mind and you're not actually thinking about. Kind of, like, because I can't meditate. I'm really, I, I can't do it. Oh, we've I, talked about this. I, it's, <laughs> I, I tried to do yeah. a guided meditation and I had auditory hallucinations where I imagined that the thing was telling me things it wasn't. And then I got it way deep in my brain. And when I went back to re-listen to it, I was, they didn't even say the thing that triggered me into all these. So I just, I'm really, 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 you really bad. It and spun out. You just, <laughs> how long was that meditation in which you had auditory hallucination? It was only like three minutes. It was, it's not, I, it's not for me. I'm, I have tried it in many different ways, many, so the closest I get to meditation is like going and listening to like a podcast that is completely disconnected from my real life while walking. If I can do that, honestly, the closest I get to meditation is when I'm like running really hard or lifting really heavy weights. And like, I, I finally get that like brain body disconnect. That oh, I, I understand that where if you are not you're just utterly exhausting your body to the point where if you don't focus a hundred percent on your body, you will hurt yourself. Yes. Yes. So I, I mean, I joined a roller derby league when I was studying for my PhD exams because I was like, I have to get out of my head or my head is going to explode. And that was the only way I could do it. It was just those intense drills and intense workouts. So that's the closest I get to what other people describe meditation doing for them. I feel like people who meditate are going to be like, that does not count. <laughs> but Oh, but I get that. I get that where you just have to, yeah, to where if you're not paying attention, you will hurt yourself. It's why I do hot yoga. Because if you don't focus on that really hot yoga where you will pass out, if you don't focus entirely on your body and your breathing, you'll just pass right out. It's why I love it. Even though, as we've already discussed the thought of being too hot and all of that, as I clutch my hot water bottle to my chest right now. Also not for me. Not for you. <laughs> not for me. I might do cold yoga. Um, oh, cold yoga. Is that, that should be a thing. Cause my, I had a yoga teacher that said, if you do yoga, right, you could be in a frozen tundra and you'll sweat. Cause you're wow. like, wow, we should put that hot? to the test. Maybe with our cold weather dinosaurs that we bring cold back. Cold dinosaur yoga. <laughs> we just become millionaires. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we- Don't steal our ideas. 
We can start. <laughs> so all that to say that I, I'm not going to say that I ironically read self-help books because I feel like that's unfair to them. Yeah. I, I am legitimately reading them, but I feel like and I'm also you help yourself. I, I feel like I'm also not their intended audience and I'm always not reading them with the gentlest of eyes. I guess is the best way to put it. <laughs> oh, I love that phrase. I love that phrase for harsh criticism. I'm not looking at this with the gentlest of eyes. I'm going to start using that in my grading. <laughs> so I came to the subtle art of not giving a fuck with an open mind and an acceptance of self-help as a valuable genre in general. And I hated it. <laughs> so it just it just really irritated me. And it's not that anything in it is wrong. It's just that the, the veneer on it was just so grating to me. Because it's basically a very superficial reading of stoicism with all of the like social responsibility stripped out of it so that it's just about your taking care of yourself. Like it's, it's like, it's like stoicism for the people who like the four hour work week, which I don't know if you know the four hour work week. It is. Oh, I do. The worst self-help book I've ever read in my life. Like that one made me angry to my core. I, it, the four-hour work week, spoiler alert, is just find other people to exploit so that you can live a better life. So the Get subtle life. <laughs> the subtle Wait, art. Is the, floor, is the four-hour work week, am I confusing this? Is that why my husband insists on drinking grapefruit juice every morning no matter what? No, no. I think that's the, um, what is that one called? The one that's all about ritual. I actually like that one. <laughs> yeah. There's some self-help book that my husband to this day will get quite upset if he doesn't have grapefruit juice first thing. Yeah, no, I, I think I know which one. I cannot remember the name of it right now, but I think I know which one you're talking about. And like that, like setting a morning ritual thing, like that makes sense to me. I think that that is, but no, the four hour work week is it's Tim Ferriss. And it's literally just like, if you want to get ahead in life, find ways to do less work, but make it look like you're doing more work. Like it's, I mean, it's truly, and it's a bestseller. And I've seen all these people recommending. I'm like, this is just con artistry. Like this is not, this is not self-improvement. This is not reflective. This is not bettering yourself in any moral or ethical way. It's the only definition of better that this is, is just like, I get more money by putting in less effort. And it was infuriating to me that all of these people accepted that as a definition of better. and Productivity, efficiency. So I want to give, I guess I should give a nod to Mark Manson, the man who wrote The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, because I think that those, the people who liked that book were his audience and this would be far better advice for living your life well than the four-hour work week would be, right? Like, so if, if that's who he was talking to, then he probably is actually bettering people because if that's where you From started- Exploitation too. To, let me just take care of myself, man. <laughs> oh man, I did just get an update from my husband. It was Tim Ferriss's four-hour body book. Oh. And he says, he says, it is a stupid book for idiots, 
but I like grapefruit juice. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Well, and I, you know, like the advice in the four-hour work week when it wasn't about find some underpaid laborer in a third world country to do your tasks and pretend you're doing them yourself so your boss doesn't know wasn't all bad. But um, like, Has he read Where'd You Go, Bernadette? That doesn't work out. Those guys <sighs> steal your information and you can't go to Antarctica to find your mom. No, you can't do that. It doesn't work that way for everybody. No, no. Tim Ferriss, white man. <laughs> but, um, so I was reading the subtle art. I'm not giving a fuck. And I was very disappointed in it. It did not help me. I will. I was not the audience. Not and I did not, <laughs> I did not feel better about any aspect of my life after having read it. Um, but like, I have long been, like, I read, Stoic philosophers and modern day versions of Stoicism. Um, I'm now working through, is it, let me see what it's called. I'm now working through a handbook for new Stoics, how to thrive in a world out of your control, which is like a week by week Stoicism exercise. And and so far, I'm really liking that. So that feels like I can recommend that. But all of this led me to looking into, because I was criticizing the subtle art of not giving a fuck. And I was like, I want to make sure that I'm being fair in what I'm saying. So I was going back and reading some like overviews of stoicism. And in doing that, I found out something I did not know, which is that CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the kind of therapy that I best respond to as a, as a mental health patient. Like that's the kind of therapy that works best for me is based on stoicism. And so that the, um, like it was brought back in the 1950s as an answer to like Freudian psychoanalysis saying like, that doesn't work. Look at this stuff from these ancient Stoic philosophers. Let's bring this into our practice. And so that cognitive behavioral therapy grew out of an anti-Freudian psychoanalysis movement that looked back into Stoicism. And, um, yeah, so there, I just read it this. It makes really, me really appreciate CBT more. Yeah. Well, and so there's, there's waves of CBT and this article that I was reading says that like the third wave of CBT has really gotten into like Buddhism. And, um, but if you look at it far enough, then the, the actually they're even going deeper into stoicism. And they say that Westerners tend to like resonate more with the stoic perspective of it than the Buddhist one, just because we're a little closer aligned with like the Western ideology of it, but that they're the same ideas. They're just in slightly different packages, right? And so um, there was a quote that I was going to read from the article that I read. For modern therapists, an important implication of Stoic psychology is their insistence on a worldview in which doing what is under our direct control to the best of our ability or living wisely is valued more highly than pleasure or the avoidance of unpleasant feelings, things not entirely under our control. And that they went through and like listed how a lot of like CBT principles align with a lot of uh, Stoic principles, like very, very directly. And I just thought it was really cool that this, what we kind of think of as a modern day um, practice in mental health grew out of this ancient Stoic philosophy. I had no idea. That's so cool. Although that makes me disappointed in myself, because as soon as you said, oh, you responded well to CBT, I'm like, well, what does it mean? Because I never, oh, I never do well with it. 
And I just keep fighting and fighting the fact that I really hate psychoanalysis on an academic level. And a lot of my research is like fighting against it. And yet I just know in my heart that I'm a classic like Freudian neurotic. And that just makes me think I'm, that pushes me even further into that. (sighs) Maybe you should try the handbook for new Stoics. No, I want to. Yeah. Who is it by one more time? It is by uh, Massimo Pigliucci and Gregory Lopez. Nice. I'm going to try it. I'm going to get myself out of this. Get the Freud out. Get the Freud out. Get the Freud out. (laughs) Um, Oh, Freud. Okay. So my research this week is initially, I'm, I'm actually doing research into this and I bought about Oh, I'm so excited about it. I brought about five books. This is research I just started for a book project. And, but it started from a book I was reading, a fiction book, which is called Fake Like Me by Barbara Borland. And it was a, such a good book. Um, I can't recommend it enough. It would have been the perfect beach book, just the perfect, perfect beach book. It was so engaging. It was one of those books that whenever I was away from it, I was thinking about it. I was like, I want to get back to it. I just want to sneak away back home to my book. And those are the best. Um, really the so best. I just it, got for the Time Police about your recommendation is the next one that I, I just got picked it up from the library. So I'll put this one on next. Yay. This book is, um, it's just so engaging. It's, it's a bit of like a murder mystery. It's a bit of a trashy romance. But, but what I really... What impressed me about it and why it is a research is that it takes place and it's very much set in the contemporary art world. And I keep trying to read books. I think I will like them that are fictional books that are set in the art world, contemporary art world, especially ones that focus on female artists. And there's, oh, I hate them. I hate them so much. They just don't ring true. They're like an uncanny valley where I'm so enmeshed in like researching contemporary art and working on it that I'm like, I don't want to read about it in my free time or it's just badly done or really heavy handed or doesn't feel lived in. And the only other book that's ever been successful at painting kind of an art world well that's fiction is The Flamethrowers, which is a really good book. But this book just rung so true. It was so good. And it was so good to the point where I was reading it in the bathtub And they got to this section on a specific artist. And I was like, this artist has to be real. They have to be real. I need them for my research. They were the whole linchpin to a book I'm writing right now that's missing something. It's missing an artist that can be a bridge to these other artists. So I screamed at my husband. I said, look up this artist. Please tell me they're real. (laughs) From the bathtub. From the bathtub. (laughs) And they were. Oh, so happy. Um, oh, and it turns out that the author, Barbara Borland, her husband is an art historian. So it's like, yes, he's a contemporary historian. I'm like, that makes sense. So this artist that she was talking about is the research this week. And I've just fallen into the best rabbit hole of researching her. And her name is Lee Lozano. And she was a painter and a conceptual artist in the 70s. Um, 70s and 80s-ish in New York. And she was very successful. She ran in the art scene 
with um, Lucy Lepard was a big proponent of hers. And Lucy Lepard was a big critic that wrote <clears throat> a lot of books about conceptual art. She kind of is the writer and biographer of conceptual art in New York at the time. And they were friends and she included her in her shows. She hung out with Richard Serra. And in fact, I was going through her notes and found the most hilarious section on her having Richard Serra over to her house and he smoked pot and he smoked too much pot and he like fell out of his chair and just acted a fool. And Richard Serra is this very, like to me, serious canonical male sculptor. And, and I had once had a personal run-in with him when I worked at the Pulitzer Foundation for the Arts in St. Louis, they had a Richard Serra show. I was a gallery attendant. My job was to attend the gallery. I had to stand by the artwork. And so I was standing by a Richard Serra sculpture and he came through the gallery with the owner of the gallery to look at it. And they were walking through and they came to where I was and they start talking and then they start whispering angrily. And then she whispers into her walkie talkie the owner of the gallery, Emily Pulitzer. And another worker runs to me and goes, you're ruining their view of the art. He thinks you're very unesthetic. Get out of here. <laughs> and I was just like, so heartbroken. Cause I was there like, that's Richard Sarah. Oh, you're not unesthetic. I think it would have been anyone standing in front of the art, but that really has stuck with me that like <laughs> Richard Sarah thinks I'm very ugly. But anyway, so it, so that's a personal thing about why it made me very happy to picture him falling out of a chair because he was too high. And then Leela Zana- Who's on aesthetic now? Yeah, Richard collapsed on the floor. Leela Zana just makes fun of him. And she's like, he can't hang. He's such a bummer. And that is indicative of Leela Zano. She's like a very cool girl. She's really bro-y in a way that makes me kind of uncomfortable. That's something I fought against a lot. Like, can you hang? Stuff like that that she seems to have, but she's an amazing painter. And what I want to talk about really quickly that I'm struggling with, my book is going to be, I'm a feminist art historian. It's going to be grounded in feminist theory. And I'm talking about artists that disappear or, well, it's mainly artists that disappear right now, but she has two pieces that I'm obsessed with. One is called Dropout Piece. And that was her final work of art. She's very successful. She's a great painter. And then she makes dropout piece where she says, I, to have any impact in the art world is impossible. She's really torn about financial things, sexism in the art world. And so she says, I'm not going to participate in the art world anymore. And that's my final work. And she leaves New York. She moves back into her parents' house um, in Texas. And she doesn't do it. She just falls off the face of the earth until she died in the 90s. And people are like, when she's buried in an unmarked grave, that's when the work ends. And then the other work, the one I'm really obsessed with and I don't know what to do with, is called Boycott. And it was supposed to be a six-month-long project. Like I said, a lot of her closest friends were women artists, Lucy Lepard. And Boycott piece is she decides not to talk to or have any interactions with women for six months. And she records it. She's like, you know, I, Lucy Lepard wrote me a letter and I threw it away. 
or I saw this person in a store and refused to acknowledge them. It got to the point where she, she really, you know, if she had a grocery store clerk who was a woman, she would refuse to have them check her out. Just no interactions with anyone who was a woman. And then it was only six months, but then she extended it to the rest of her life. And I don't know why. And I can't figure it out. And a lot of people say, she's crazy, which I don't like. That's the, no, 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 no. Don't just say a woman who's doing interesting weird things is crazy. But a lot of people say it's super feminist. But I'm like, Mm. I want it to be, but there's no way I can justify that. That someone says, I'm not going to interact with women at all. And that's a feminist move. I don't know, but I'm obsessed with it. I've just found myself super obsessed with her. She has really cool journals. I've been reading them, but why? I understand it as a six month piece, but then she's like- Right, right. Because like, if it had a feminist statement in it, it's as a performative piece. But if you have consciously taken yourself out of the area where you have commentary and continued that practice, it's no longer making commentary. That's about your individual experience. And yeah. so if your individual experience is, I don't want to interact with any women, I don't see how, yeah, that's, that's complex. I'll be interested to read your book. I know what I do out. with this. I'm figuring it out, but man, she's just, I don't know what it is. I'm completely and utterly obsessed with her. Cause I, I don't know. I think it's really rare that I have an artist that I don't, I can't figure out in like a week where I'm like, I know what you're about. I know what I want to say about you done. And it's so, it's such a pleasure. I love it so much. So Lee Lozano, I highly encourage everyone to look her up. Okay. This one is, uh, this, this is going to be a challenging week. I think Um, this is disparate. Okay. So we have vomit, vomit smelling, Ancient trees, ginkgo trees, ginkgo trees, the joys of camping and the weirdness of understanding camping through another person's eyes, Fleetwood Mac TikTok, late stage capitalism, cranberry juice, uh, comedians playing quiplash, how you hated the book, the art of not giving a fuck. Is and the CBT stoicism. is based on stoicism. That was the main, that was the researchy part. Yeah, sorry. I took the, this is like when I turned everything into ice cream. I'm just like, you know, <laughs> look, that's your research. <laughs> stoicism, discussing stoicism. Oh, and it's so interesting how that's part of CBT. And then finally, Lee Lozano and her choice to boycott women. Oh, boy. What are we going to do with this? Okay, 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 okay. okay. Um, I think so so early on I thought that there was a thread about just like delights unexpected delights me too I was just about to say that (laughs) like finding delight in the unexpected um but it falls apart once we get to our researchy things I think I think it works for camping. It works for Fleetwood Mac. It works for Quiplash because I thought I wasn't going to like it. And then it was delightful. Um, 
I mean, I do find it a little delightful that these trees that smell so terrible are so powerful, right? Like I like yeah. that, that I, I was looking them up to be like these stinky things that are ruining my fall. And I'm like, oh, you can spontaneously change your sex and dinosaurs like to eat you. That's cute. Like, you know, like it just. You're, you're, how is that not a delight? Right. I mean, vomit smell isn't, but out of vomit comes dinosaur poop. <laughs> Dinosaur yoga is where we ended up with it. That's so, you delightful. know, like that's delightful. And it was an unexpected place to find that delight. So that, that all works. And I'm going to say that it was delightful. I, I said that the Lilazano was a based in a delightful book, fake like me. And it's having, having a problem tickling at my brain like this that I haven't had and to like get to use my brain in this way is delightful in a, from something I didn't think it would be. So delight from unexpected places or delight from not even unexpected places, but delight unpleasant. from unpleasantness because didn't his truck break? His, his truck broke down. He never would have made that video if it, he wasn't about to run late for work in a way that I'm assuming if you're willing to longboard there, you can't be late for work, right? Like it was a, yeah. a pressure situation and ends up getting him a brand new truck. He's and taking off work and has yeah. a publicist. Yeah. Publicist. So delight from unpleasant things. From Which, unpleasantness, we can find delight. Because I- That's a fortune cookie. And yeah, that's a yeah. There we go. That's, from that's, unpleasantness that's, comes delight. Because it also works for the, because I hated I did not like the subtle art of not giving a fuck, but then I get to find this delightful tie between CBT. Yeah. Yeah. It works for all of them. And Grant, my husband hated the four hour body, but he delights but in his grapefruit, grapefruit juice. The <laughs> There's so much. Anytime you're smelling vomit, anytime your car breaks down, just think. Something delightful delight. might be right around the corner. Your vomit is a dino's delight. <laughs> All right. So that's a wrap. <laughs> it's a wrap. I'm going to start singing Afternoon Delight, but trying to fit vomit and dinos in, and no one wants that. No one wants that. Bye. We're gonna- Bye. <laughs>